My senior year of college, I studied abroad for the month of January in Amsterdam. It was an anthropology course that studied the demographics and needs of an urban neighborhood. And then we looked at the responses of local churches to see their impact and relevance on their community. I thought it sounded really interesting, even though I was a theater major and had no plans on working in a church. It also happened to be the cheapest study abroad option. <laughs> um, and my friend Sherry was going, and at the end of that month, we would have nine days before the start of my last semester of college. And so we were going to leave Amsterdam a week later than the group and travel around and see London and Paris and Italy. And we worked out this really intricate and meticulous schedule and we were so excited about it. And the night that we booked the flights, we like jumped up and down and we were like so pumped that we were like off to see the world. So you know it's gonna go terribly, right? <laughs> At the end of January, we packed up and we waved goodbye to the group and we walked to the train. Um, and we got, to there, we got to the train to the airport about 10 minutes early. We got on the train, we found our seat. Everything's going perfectly. And then everything went terribly. We were on the wrong train. We were headed to Germany. <laughs> um, and we couldn't get off till we got to the border to like show our passports. We had to like try to get back to the airport. We miss our flight. We have to buy new tickets to London, but we're like, okay, we can catch up to our itinerary, but we're gonna miss our day in London. We'll just get there that night. We had a few hours in a hostel to sleep in London and then got up at four in the morning. We were gonna really do it right. We had plenty of time to get to the airport and maybe hit Germany in between if we needed to. We got to the airport and it was the wrong airport. <laughs> And we missed our second flight. <laughs> and I mean, we were now like spending all of our hostel money on buying new flights. And we hadn't slept much. And we had this feeling of like, we're just not good at this. We're not, we're not good at traveling on our own. We can't do it. So we just bought our new flight back to Amsterdam and we waited there for a week before we could fly out again. And I felt homesick like I hadn't felt since it was like my very first time at summer camp when I was a kid. And I called home on my calling card <laughs> and I cried into a payphone and I said I'd failed. And it kicked off a pretty intense year of quarter life crisis for me because I was about to graduate. Could I, could I be an adult? I had this horrifying realization that the plans I had might not work out. And honestly, I'd planned the trip way better than I'd planned the rest of my life. I mean, did I major in the right thing? Theater? Probably not. Um, was I going to get a job? Did I have a future? Should I move to Chicago? It was so overwhelming. And where were the answers? I couldn't be trusted to be in charge. What if I was on the wrong life train or on my way to the wrong life airport? School had been marked with sheet music that I could read and a tune that I'd learned to sing. But what would happen 
when I began to sing my own notes. It wasn't feeling good. Esther lived in a patriarchal society where she had no ability to be independent or autonomous. She lived as part of a people subjugated by another empire. She was not free. She was an orphan, dependent on the kindness of others. She could not rock the boat. Esther was a quiet observer, guided by the wisdom of her cousin Mordecai. She synchronized her steps with the expectations imposed all around her. Esther was quiet, or perhaps she hummed softly in the background, but she let her song be drowned out by the anthems of the Persian Empire for survival. When this story gets told to children, the king having all the most beautiful young women in the land rounded up and taken to his harem so he could pick a new queen, it's depicted like a love story or like a beauty contest. One she might be excited to win, but it's abusive, it's traumatic. Mordecai, her cousin, the one who raised Esther, tries to give her advice that will keep her alive. He says, stay quiet, hide your identity. When she enters the palace, she ingratiates herself to the head eunuch in the harem, and she quietly obeys all of his advice and training, and she becomes queen. This story is acted out in Jewish communities for the holiday of Purim. And everyone boos when the nefarious Haman enters the stage. It's this huge melodrama. He's a melodramatic bad guy in the story. All he sings are sour notes of destruction, meant to drown out the song of Esther's people. He convinces the king to issue a decree to prompt an official day of genocide to silence the Jewish people forever. Our scripture passage today is the moment that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, is communicating all of this, this upcoming genocide to Esther via palace messenger. He says that it's time for her to act in order to save her people. Esther's life has held loss and trauma. She has survived by being obedient and pleasant and harmless and not causing conflict or being seen as difficult. She checked the boxes she needed to check. She hides behind being a pretty face. She reminds her cousin that she has no real power in this position, that even beginning a conversation with the king could mean her immediate death. If you're someone who grew up with messages that you needed to please people or that any kind of conflict is the worst thing in the world, perhaps this feels emotionally honest to you, that disagreement can feel like life and death. For Esther, it actually was. Mordecai challenges Esther and ends on this hopeful moment, this hopeful note, perhaps who she is and where she is located can be used for good in such a time as this. In improv, 
We say the number one rule is yes and. It's the engine that keeps a scene moving forward. Yes means acknowledging the world your scene partner is building and not, not negating it. And the and means that you add something to it. Disagreement or saying no, like if someone says nice crossbow and you say, what crossbow? I didn't bring anything. That means that you've negated them and you're back at square one. You have to restart the scene essentially. And if you just say yes without an and, you're stalling the scene. So nice crossbow, thanks. Silence. <laughs> you know, the scene's still not moving forward. And if you say yes, but nice crossbow, yeah, but it's broken, that's just, it's just a no with a fancy hat. To truly move a scene forward, you have to have agreement on the reality and you have to continually be growing the reality, both contributing yes and. Nice crossbow, thanks, it's my prized possession, issued in 1982 by the Vatican to hunt vampires. Like that's a scene that's gonna move, <laughs> okay. Esther has been saying yes, but in this moment, we see a transformation in Esther as she is challenged to add her very first and to her own story. Something her very own. And we see her respond by speaking up and asking for something that she needs for the first time. She asks her community for spiritual support. She asks them to fast and to pray for her. And in that moment, Esther transforms into the one in the story with the plan. She's no longer just taking advice. There's no angel telling her what to do. There's no longer another human telling her how to do it. The entire plan is hers and hers alone. In a story where everyone thinks she's there to look good, one that no one taught her, oh, sorry, She's just there to look good. She sings something new, a new harmony with the songs of her people. One that no one taught her to sing because she was the first one to sing it. She had to trust her own inner knowing for the first time. And we find that Esther is strategic. She doesn't just go into the throne room and ask the king to save her people. Rather, she goes and asks him to come to dinner with Haman. And then at the end of the dinner, the king is like, what do you want, Esther, anything? And she says, come to another dinner with Haman tomorrow night. And at the end of that dinner, the king says, whatever you want. <laughs> and she begins to tell her story, to say that someone is threatening her people and the king is like, what, who would do this? And Esther has this incredibly dramatic reveal of like, it was Haman. And Haman is defeated and her people are saved. I love how Esther's story flips from passive to active, from survivor to protector, from pretty face to, to strategic mind from inconsequential and powerless to courageous whistleblower. I wonder if her plan was always to invite the king to dinner twice. Maybe it was part of her strategy. 
Or maybe she was just freaking out and figuring it out as she went. Maybe she asked them to dinner again while she finds her courage to reveal who she is. I am definitely not a trained singer, and I can find it really intimidating when I said that college was marked music I could read that was purely metaphorical. I absolutely cannot read music. (laughs) But something I've learned is that even though I might get a note wrong, which makes me want to sing quietly, I know that I'll never get the note right if I don't sing it loud enough with enough breath support to be heard. And if the note is wrong, I can only fix it if I can hear it, if it's loud enough. And that feels so vulnerable, but that's part of learning to sing. I wonder if Esther asking the king to dinner twice is part of her learning to give her own voice the breath support it needs. Esther blended the harmonies of her own agency with the echoes of advice that she had been guided with throughout her life. The song she carried, the song she sang, had strength and resilience, the strength of her people, the faithfulness of her God, and resulted in a powerful symphony of justice and salvation. Esther's journey teaches us that true transformation is not about discarding the guidance we receive, nor is it about remaining silent or only singing the notes written for others, but rather about finding our own voice to add. Esther encourages us to embrace learning to sing a new tune that is both different and in harmony with the melodies of our community. Harmony is not meant to be total obedience to someone else's melody. Harmony cannot exist if you are singing someone else's part. Harmony requires difference. It requires our own unique notes to sing. True harmony is not the absence of difference, but rather the celebration of our unique identities and acceptance of one another asking your own questions, having your own opinions, living your own story, connected in unity, but not unison, harmony. If I could send a note back to 22-year-old Elena from 42-year-old Elena, I would tell her, okay, the bad news is you still haven't seen Paris or Italy, but the good news is that you have gotten really practice at traveling on your own and taking public transportation and problem solving and asking for help and for better information and smartphones are gonna help you out a lot. And two decades later, on a day when somehow everything goes wrong again and you find yourself stuck in an airport unable to fly back in time for your first official Sunday as interim pastor at Bethany UCC, frantically texting Johnny if he can sing for you and learning new valuable but costly lessons, your first thought won't be, you are a failure. 
and you won't spiral into you can't do this. But you'll think something closer to you've had a really bad day and I know you're embarrassed and I know you need more sleep. But this week you're starting the pastoral care small group and I still believe that good things are happening in this community that you are a part of. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> and maybe even for such a time as this. You, beloved, will have so many transitions in your life. And you are a unique someone in a unique location in space and time and relationship. And today, we dare to be challenged by the audacious hope that you have a song to sing that can be used for such a time as this. Used to sing hope to the downhearted, to sing relief to the burdened, to sing love and mercy and just peace, to sing compassion to yourself, even when you are scared or embarrassed or imperfect, in any or every way. It's okay to still be learning your notes. Breathe deeply, sing out. Hear the harmony of the community around you. Summon your deepest courage, beloved. Sing your hymn to love, amen. <laughs>